Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Today we start a new series, Simplifying Sin, and this is going to lead us into Easter, and this is intentional. I want, I want us to talk about sin as we lead into the most important event in human history that, was, that eradicated sin for our lives. And so we're going to talk about sin for three weeks, and then we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday how sin was conquered. Amen? Three pastors went to a pastor's convention, and they were all sharing one hotel room. The first pastor looked at the others, and he said, let's confess our sins one to another. He said, I'll start. He said, my secret sin is that I love to gamble. He said, when I go out of town, cha-ching, cha-ching, he said, I like to gamble. The second pastor said, well, my secret sin is that I like to drink a little. He said, I do. He said, not a lot. He said, just a little shot of whiskey every once in a while. And the third pastor spoke up real excited. And he said, my secret sin is gossiping. And oh boy, I can't wait to get out of this room. <laughs> For the next three weeks, I want to talk about a subject that we all have in common. It's the subject of sin. It's something that all of us have in common. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That's the key word right there. All. Everyone. We are all included in that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every human being has this one thing in common. We have all sinned. Every single one of us. No one is exempt. Even your precious little baby that you think can do no harm is sinful, and I can prove it with one word, meconium. Now, many of you in the room, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but, but if you do know what I'm talking about, if you know what meconium is, then you know that that stuff alone proves that your baby is full of the devil. You know it. If you don't know what it is, let me spell it for you. I want you to write it down. And you're going to go home and Google it later today, and you're going to find it. Uh, here it is, meconium, M-E-C-O-N-I-U-M, meconium. Go home, Google it, and click on images when you do it if you want a good understanding. All I can say is meconium happens, right? Um, <laughs> yes, you, your baby, and your sweet little old grandmother have all sinned and have all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus said something very interesting in Mark chapter 7 and verse 15. He said, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of the person are what defile him. Let me, let me break it down for you. Let me tell you what Jesus was saying. Not that he needs me telling you what he was saying, but... Let me explain it to you in our lay terms. It's already in you. You were born with it. In theology, it's what we call original sin. That as a result of Adam's fall, sin entered the world. Adam, being the head of the human race, caused every human after him to be born into a sinful state or a fallen condition. 
original sin. Every one of us, at the moment we were born, we were born into a sinful state, a, a falling condition. I, I like to call it an unoriginal sin because it's not uncommon. We all have it. We all were born into it. You see, sin is the great equalizer of humanity. It doesn't matter your walk of life. It doesn't matter if you were born rich or if you were born poor. It doesn't matter if you, uh, it doesn't matter what your race, your nationality, or your skin color are. Uh, when it comes to sin, we are all affected by it and not just affected by it. Without the cure, we are condemned by it. That if we don't get sin figured out, if we don't find an answer for it, we will die and face a devil's hell without the cure. The unfortunate thing for us is that our society has desensitized our view of sin. Things that were once shameful to discuss are now paraded around as anthems. As a nation, we have become comfortable in our sinful nature. There was a time when people used to go to church, they would hear the truth being preached, and then they would weep over their sin. Today, people go to church, they hear a motivational speech, and they ignore their sin. They could walk right out of the doors and not do anything about it because we don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on our lives anymore. With, a, with an arrogant attitude... The battle cry of this generation is, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Nobody wants to be held accountable anymore for their actions. And even the not-so-great American lyricist known as Miley Cyrus said, only God can judge you. <laughs> yes, Miley, you are correct, and that should scare the Hades out of you, literally. Think about it. That one day a holy God is going to judge us. That should be enough right there to make us change the way that we live our lives. To know that one day we will have to stand before the great white throne of judgment when God Almighty, the most powerful being ever, will look at our lives and judge our lives. I want you to understand that this series is not meant to create a judgmental and legalistic mindset that causes us to look down on each other when we don't live up to godly standards. That's not what it's about. I don't want you looking at the person next to you or looking at your family members or looking at your friends, looking at your coworkers and becoming judgmental over who they are and, and what they do. That's not what this is about. My hope is that this series will cause us to look inward and self-evaluate our own sinful nature. I want it to stir up conviction, not condemnation. Condemnation is when we start judging each other. Conviction is when we allow what God is trying to get through our heads and through our hearts to take root and to begin to, to redevelop who we are. You see, we should praise God for conviction. It's a beautiful thing because it makes us more like Jesus when we feel the Holy Spirit convicting our lives. And so let's let this series, let's let it, challenge us to take an inward look at sin. In order for us to do that, we must first define sin. If you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 18, a few verses there, and then I'm going to go right on over to Luke chapter 19. I want to read 
an encounter with Christ from two different men, very similar. But we're going to read how these two men responded to their encounter with Christ. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 18. Says, and a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. I'll add that the books of Matthew and Mark, they also tell this same story, and they add that this rich young ruler went away sorrowful. Now we go over to Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He, being Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation, this is so important, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he also as a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When you read these two encounters that Luke writes about, there's a lot of, a lot of things that are similar in these stories. First of all, you have two rich men. Two men that they have wealth in their life. Two men that are some way somehow drawn to Jesus. The rich young ruler came to him saying, Lord, what do I have to do to have eternal life? He was drawn to Jesus. Zacchaeus was so drawn to Jesus that, that because he was short, he wanted to make sure that he could see him, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree just so that he could see Jesus. Two rich men, two men that are drawn to Jesus, but we, we read two very different responses on their encounter with Christ. Maybe you have heard it taught that God cannot be in the presence of sin. Any, anybody ever taught that in your life? Anybody remember that maybe from a young age? You were taught that God cannot be in the presence of sin? Uh, we know that this is simply not true because in the book of Job, Satan entered into the presence of God to discuss Job's life. A and he said, God, if, if you will allow me to get to him, if you will lift your hedge of protection from his life and allow me to come into his life and tempt him, he will curse you. He, he, he will no longer serve you. He's got it too good right now. But the Bible says that Satan came with the angels into the presence of God to talk about Job's life. 
In the New Testament, Satan was in the presence of Jesus when he tempted him in the wilderness. Because because of these instances, we know that God can and has been in the presence of sin. The problem is that sin can't stay in the presence of God. It's not that God can't stay in the presence of sin. It's that sin can't stay in the presence of God. Sin doesn't separate God from us. Sin separates us from God. It removes us from his presence. We have a hard time staying in the presence of a holy God when sin is prevalent in our lives. Isaiah 59 and 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear It puts the responsibility back on us. That it's not God that's removing himself from us. It's us. Our sin is removing us from him. And at the moment that we draw close to him, the promise is that he comes close to us. And at that moment when there's a sinful state in you, the, the, the change has to take place. James 4 and 8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Listen to this. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Sin is exposed in the presence of holiness. And it's at that moment that a choice has to be made. You have to make a choice when you're in the presence of holiness. And there's only two options. The first one is this, leave the presence of God. And I'm sad to say there's so many people that they do that. There's sin in their life. And because of that sin and the conviction that they feel, they no longer feel like they can be in the presence of God and they leave the presence of God. But you have a second choice. The second choice is allow the presence of God to change you. That's it. That's the only two choices you get. Leave the presence of God or stay there in the presence of God and allow his presence to change you. The rich young ruler, he left the presence of God sorrowful. He couldn't do it. Jesus challenged him. He said, listen, you've kept all the commandments. You see, we want all sin defined. We look at things like the Ten Commandments and we think, well, I'm not doing that, 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 and that, that, you know, and, and, and life is good. Everything, you know, I'm, I'm following the law here. I'm doing good. The rich young ruler was following the law. But the scripture tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus knew that there was a heart issue going on with this young man. And so he looks at him and says, yeah, you followed the law, but there's still one thing that you're lacking. Let's get down to 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 the heart of the matter here let's talk about it and he says you need to sell everything that you have give it to the poor and don't miss this come and follow me come be one of my disciples be one of my followers this guy had a chance to go down in history to be a part of the ministry of Christ but instead he walked away sorrowful And then you just turn one chapter over and you read about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Still a very rich man. But that man was changed immediately 
in the presence of God. He didn't want to leave the presence of God. It was there standing with Jesus, there eating supper with Jesus, that his life is changed. And he says, I, I, I need to sell half of what I have, give it away. And, and there's people that I've probably wronged and I need, to, I need to sow into their lives fourfold. I need to pay them back with interest is what he says. And notice this, Jesus never asked him to do it. Jesus never once asked Zacchaeus to do that. Just being in the presence of God challenged him to make that change in his life. Because you can't remain in your sin and remain in close proximity to God. Because sin separates you from God. Not God from you, you from God. So pastor, what do I do? What do I do? I mean, I'm not breaking the Ten Commandments necessarily. How do I know if something is sinful? We all have those questions. I want everybody in this room to understand that. Your pastor has those questions sometimes. God, is this sinful for my life? Is what I'm doing, is this sinful? And so what do we do? How do we respond to that? And I have figured this out, that the easiest way to determine if something is sinful for you is to simply ask yourself this question, does this separate me from God? Let me give you another question with that. Not just does this separate me from God, because we can easily say no. But what about this? Would you do or not do that in front of him? Now that's where it really, that's the rubber meeting the road right there, right? Would I do this in front of him? Would I not do this in front of him? You see, there, there's, in, in theology, there's something called the sin of commission and the sin of omission. Sin of commission is, you know, the, the sins that you commit. The sin of omission is the things that you know you're supposed to do and you don't do. And so would I do this or not do this in front of him? Or... Do I need to leave his presence and hide from him in order to do this? In order for me to fulfill this, this desire in my life, do I need to leave the presence of God behind in order for me to accomplish this? Would I do it in front of him? Would I get intoxicated in front of him? Would I use this type of language in front of him? Would I gossip like this in front of him? Would I cheat on my taxes in front of him? That's tough right now, isn't it? Right here during the middle of tax season? Oh, pastor's preaching at you. Would I cheat on my taxes? Would I sign that, that, that tax return if Jesus was right there with me? Would I look at this website if Jesus was sitting there looking over my shoulder? Would I flirt with that coworker? Would I act like this in front of him? In order for you to understand sin, you have to go back to the first sin. You think I'm talking about Adam and Eve. I'm not. Scripture describes the first sin to us. The first sin was by Lucifer, who took a third of the angels of heaven and rebelled against God. And because of that, he was kicked out of heaven. That sin separated him from God. The second sin, Adam and Eve, it separated them from God. They had a relationship with God to walk in the garden in the cool of the day with him every day. But because they chose sin, it separated them from God. 
And, and here's the secret right here. I love exposing the enemy. Sin is Satan's strategy to separate you from God because misery loves company. And his sole desire right now, he knows his fate and his desire for you and for your life is to separate you from God. And sin is the very way that he will separate you from God if you're not careful. And the closer that we get to Easter, the more that I will preach on the cure for sin. I promise you. But I just don't want to leave us right here just, just defining sin and exposing sin today. I, that's not what I want to do. And, and, and I'm going to show you pretty much what the devil does to you right now. He will spend the whole week convincing you that you're, you're, you're just a sinner. That's it. And then we come to church on Sunday and then we convince you you can be saved. Well, I'm going to do the same thing to you right now. You ready for this? I'm going to spend this whole sermon defining sin, letting you know just how wretched you really are. But here's your hope. You ready? It's not as complicated as we think. We started off today in Romans chapter 3. I want to end it with Romans chapter 3. Verse 23 that I've already read to you. We often quote this verse, but we forget about verse 24. Listen to verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here it is. You ready? And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Paul, for not leaving us there. Thank you for not just leaving us that, that, that we've all sinned and we're all just, just falling short of the glory of God. Thank you, Paul, for not leaving us there, but telling us that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If sin is the great equalizer of humanity, then the cross is the great equalizer of sin. Because it doesn't matter your walk of life. It doesn't matter if you were born poor or born rich. It doesn't matter what, what your race, your nationality, your skin color. It, it doesn't matter. When it comes to sin, everybody in this room can be saved from it because we can all be justified by his grace. Every single one of us, all of us sinners, all of us sinners, we can be justified by his grace. When actor Kevin Bacon's then six-year-old son saw Footloose, the movie Footloose, for the first time starring his dad, he had a few questions for his dad. His son asked him, he said, Hey, Dad, you know that thing in the movie where you swing from the rafters in that building? He says, That was really cool. How did you do that? Kevin Bacon answered him. He said, Well, I, I didn't do that part, son. It, it was a stuntman. Well, Dad, what's a stuntman? He says, that's someone who dresses like me and does things I can't do. He said his son went, oh, and just kind of walked out of the room disappointed. A little bit later, his son came back to him. He said, hey, Dad, you know that thing in the movie where you spin around on, on that gym bar and then you land on your feet? He said, yes, son, I remember. He said, well, how did you do that? He said, well, I, I didn't do that. It was a gymnastics double. Well, Dad, what's a gymnastics double? Well, that's a guy that dresses in my clothes and does things that I can't do. He said there was silence from his son, and then his son said, Well, Dad, what did you do? <laughs> and he said, Son, I got all the glory. 
when it comes to my sin, I can't conquer it by myself. I don't have the ability to overcome sin. I can't give my life as a ransom. I can't pay for it. But there's a man that he came and he put on my clothes. He put on skin just like me. And he left the throne of heaven and he came to this earth to be my stunt double. To do the things that I could not do. The things that I could not accomplish. So that I could be justified and glorified when I stand before a holy God. Left up to my own ability, I'm still a sinner. But because he was willing to put on my clothes, I'm saved. Because he was willing to go to a mount called Calvary and die on a cross wearing my skin. I'm justified and glorified in my heavenly Father's eyes. So what do we do with this? What do we do? You're telling us that we've got to stop doing things that separate us from God and now you're telling us that the only way that it can be fixed is Jesus taking our place. What do we do with that? When you come to the realization that Jesus did this for you, it will make you want to stop doing things that separate you from him, not he from you, you from him. It will give you a desire to be in his presence. Some of you, you forgot what the presence of God even feels like for your life because you've allowed the world to surround you. You've, you've pushed back against the conviction of the Holy Spirit so many times that you've become callous to it. And in this moment, right here in the presence of God, He's saying one more time, give it to me. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Let Jesus be that ransom. Let him pay that price, but lay it there and come close to me. His arms are open wide right now, and he's, he's calling all of us, every one of us in this room. He's saying, come, come. All who are weary, all who are heavy burdened, come, come. You can't do it by yourself. But once you realize what he did for you, it'll make you want to eliminate anything and everything that keeps you from experiencing his presence. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. 
We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.